hello again, and thanks for downloading the Weekly Curio Podcast, the podcast that attempts to smarten you up, whether you like it or not. I'm the Whip Theater's Tom Britton. And I'm College of Curiosity's Jeff Webb. We start every week the same way with the first half of the Curio Puzzle. All right, so here's the puzzle. You've got a barrel of beer. Well, you don't have a whole barrel of beer. You have... Well, it might be a half barrel of beer. At least when you look at it, you think it's more than a half, but your friend thinks it's less than a half. How can you find out without any tools or actually measuring? An amazing story with a very boring scientific headline. Late Pleistocene human skeletons and mitochondrial DNA link Paleo-Americans and modern Native Americans. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, but the way you write that up is... Remains of little girl found intact yeah. in cave. That would be much better. Right? It's much more dynamic. So what they True. found in, in a in a cave system, and you were explaining it's got a different name. What's it called? It's a cenote. C e n o t e. Cenote. It's kind of like a sinkhole uh, that sinks way down in limestone. It's usually filled with water. So because the limestone corrodes quickly or whatever, it carves water, out the limestone. The water, water does? gets under the limestone and dissolves it, and you end up with a cave, and then it collapses, usually in a hole. And some of these. And that's can be a cenote. Cenote. You know, Mexican. Uh, Right, Spanish right. word. But and yeah. in one of these, they found the, an intact skull mm-hmm. that's between twelve and 13,000 years old. Yeah, very big deal. Because it's a collapsed cave, it could collapse yes. further or more, which makes them unable to remove it. They don't go into the reasons. Yeah, it's hard to get in these things. Uh, there, there are places in uh, Mexico where you can go and, f- and base jump. In these, and you, I've seen. Okay, so I have seen yeah. pictures of that. Then. You jump, okay. and it's they're deep enough that you can use a parachute to land, and then you can swim at the bottom or whatever. That's amazing. Yeah. They they do in modern society, however, have a video of a three D model of the skull of yeah. about a fourteen or fifteen year old young lady. They named her Naya N A I A, and it's a remarkable find because it has mitochondrial DNA intact. Yeah, the amazing. teeth were intact, cavities intact. So they get an idea of diet. It is an almost perfect human skull embedded in some limestone, and the stone that is there has thorium, I think they said, yeah. that they can date as well. Right. So you get two sources of dating, yeah. which is why they say, so, so I can't remember which is which, but say the carbon dating said 12,000, the thorium dating on the rocks said 13. Yeah, or switch which, that. But which, it gives you within right. a thousand years. Yep. And it's a very important thing because. We've well, if you're my age, I'm in mid 40s. You were taught that people crossed over the Bering Straits on the land bridge and such, and that all the the Native Americans were actually Asian, whatever. This kind of proves it because the this person's DNA matches the folks living on the Bering land bridge, and also modern Native Americans. So yeah, she's she's a hybrid of the two. You start to see yeah. a post-Siberian, it's what they called her, and some remarkable things we learned from her from the amount of cavities she has. They they guess they sort of educationally guess <laughs> right. that that means that she had honey and fruit as a high part of her diet. Sure, which one of the scientists points out in the article means they thought at that point in that part of the world at that time, big game hunters. Yeah. So either she wasn't from a successful group of big game hunters for whatever reason, mm-hmm. her tribe sucked at it, or a famine, or a herd moved on, or we're wrong about that time period in general. And in fact, humans in that area weren't good big game hunters. Yeah, it could be. 13,000 years ago, I don't know what the climate of Mexico was like, but it probably wasn't like it is today. It was probably much colder. And you would think there would have been some megafauna down there, as we were talking about before, even just turtles. For her to be eating fruits, things high in sugar and carbohydrates, 
they were probably just gathering stuff. I mean, this is pre-agriculture. Yeah. So she's four foot ten, about a meter and a half, and she went hungry a lot as a quote. And much of her food came in the form of plant sugars. Yeah. They're basing that on her small stature. Mm-hmm. She could not have had a diet high in protein or she would have looked different. Right. Yeah, that's that's something they can test for. And you must go online. You must find this. We'll put a link to it from uh, sciencemag.org. Yeah, it's science, mag, science magazine. It's a journal. It's pretty high level. Particularly if you know anything of anthropology or morphology, even at a uh, undergrad level, watch the 3D video yeah. to see what we can do with things found in situ without having to move them now. To have had that during the time of King Tut's discovery. Oh, yeah. To be able to take a, a complete map of the entire room and then give that to Lucas's industrial light and magic. Right. And say, here, this is what it looked like when you walked in the room and put that in a museum. Yeah, they knew they did the best they could with the technology at the time of the time. They took all the pictures they could and such. But and yeah, right. detailed notes. We see that, you know, yeah, yeah. botanists did detailed notes two, three hundred, four hundred <laughs> years ago. But this is just incredible to watch how far we've progressed. And now now we're really learning where our Native American population and, and human ancestry in this part of the world comes from. Yeah. It's very exciting it stuff. Is, it is a major find. Paging Dr. Robot. Dr. Robot to ER stat. Popular science teaches us this week that, uh, once again, Panasonic is trying to popularize Hospital robots. I love the once again part. Like they, they tried it before yeah. in the late 70s, early 80s. A big push from Panasonic for these very primitive. Do you remember the robot Butler that was around for a little yeah, while? Yeah, they yeah. had a giant version of that <laughs> and about as useful. Yeah. So if your doctor is in the room with you, for example, and wants a beer out of the fridge, <laughs> the robot Butler was perfectly capable yeah. of doing that. But now robots have. have come up a bit uh, navigation mm-hmm. uh lidar internal yeah. mapping and just better processing you could drop your iphone in one and there's its brain yeah there's a Off lot of stuff that's fixed and imagine it don't don't think it's coming in the room like the torture device in star wars to, to do yeah. testing on you imagine instead your doc is in the room with you and she types a button and in the pharmacy downstairs, the pharmacist puts a prescription in a robot that ferries it up to her. Yeah, and it could be locked with a code that it can't dispense Exa- the medicine. Or yeah. near her phone. It could right. be near field technology. Be, yeah. oh, I'm near Dr. So-and-so. Time to unlock and let them get in to get the medicine. Right, and that's a great Thumbprint. thing. Get the people out of the way there. As few people touching medication as possible. Is Why do I better. need a highly trained medical professional to walk to a room... I need them to sign yeah. off, right? And That's what you need legally is yeah. you need a chain of evidence for right. morphine, for heavy right. drugs, this is, right? Is, you know, scheduled drugs. These are the heavy-duty yeah. things that are stolen. But I don't need this doctor I'm picturing in my brain. Walk. I don't need to pay them to walk 30 feet. I pay right. them for their medical expertise. I pay them for being in charge <laughs> of drugs, yes. The walking 30 feet, if we could offload that to yeah, a robot absolutely. and think of that a thousand times a day, an overburdened mm-hmm. doctor, even if I said these robots take 10% of your menial tasks... That's a lot. Doctors do it a is. lot of work. Now let's add in LPNs. Right. Let's add in nurses, orderlies. Yep. Now at this point, once you get down to orderly, your cost-benefit analysis may fall out because spending a hundred thousand dollars on a robot, but maybe just hire another guy to clean the bedpans. But they work twenty-four hours a day, and uh, you know the whole all the navigation problems have been solved. Yeah. You, a robot can go from the pharmacy to any room. That there's eight hundred different ways to solve that technical problem. So and, that's and a not, little bit of diagnosis wouldn't be. So say you have an otherwise perfectly healthy person. They've been your patient for 10 years. They come in every year for a physical, and you notice nothing. They're a 35-year-old male, perfect health. Why not have the robot take their blood pressure? Yep, you can Be- do that. Because it's not, it's not that much of a diagnostic so much as it's a record. If it's off by 5 or 
Right. Not a big deal. It's not precise anyway. So, you know, what are your basic vitals? You've got uh, blood pressure, you've got pulse, um, which blood is sample. the same thing. You could possibly do a blood sample. Now, if you get, if blood sample requires an injury, however slight, yeah. so there'd have to be some, how much are we willing to let this do that? Exactly. But, but. It, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Um, pulse oximeter is another very non-invasive thing. Uh, respiration rate. I mean, there's a ton. And pulse of, oximeter, you're saying, that is a robot. It, For it all it's, it's, it's an automated system. A, a human clips it on your finger, but that's it. That's the only human involvement. After that, it's all electronic. Uh, and blood pressure machines now, too. I was in the ER maybe seven or eight weeks ago, and uh, it, they just stuck my arm in a cuff and walked away, and the machine yeah. did everything. I would think unless they really believe that's part of the problem... Yeah. There's no reason to have a highly trained human being taking that and taking that and taking that. Right. It, it, it's a rough tool unless it becomes... Yeah, these are all initial stats, an and they're going to be looked at by a person. And a person can scan down really quickly and say, whoa, I don't think your blood pressure is 1,000 over 200. I think that's probably wrong. Let's have somebody do that. You know. Now, here's where Panasonic may be failing on it. We all love the idea of robots ferrying drugs around the hospital sure. and uh, moving bedpans from Ward A to Ward B. <laughs> But they've made them giants and put human faces on them. Yeah, I, you know, th there's that whole uncanny valley thing. That, that's the problem. You know, I, I don't mind. Have it look like a robot. It is a robot. I mean, I, that's my personal We love R2-D2. Yeah. It's, we um, love C-3PO. We love, I mean, they're Marvin the robot. We have these in popular culture. Yeah. And we like them. It, it's a matter of sort of cartoonizing them. It. In, in maybe it's so they don't scare the kids or something like that. R two D two would not scare the kids. I agree. <laughs> you know, you know R two yeah, comes in the like room to ferry my urine sample down the hall. <laughs> I'm excited for this idea, and I'm 41 years old. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a whole other thing. Is um, they were somebody did a documentary about what level, at what level are robots comfortable? If they're exactly like humans, we're cool with it. If they're like machines, we're cool with it too, although on a different level. It's in that middle area where, you know, it starts, it's like the fear of clowns. The know? Polar Express is a good example. Yeah, of that. that movie. If you watch that movie, it's not a bad movie, but no, that no, Uncanny no. Valley is really, really bad. Yeah, there's and then watch Toy Story. Off. Right. When you see the humans yeah. in Toy Story, at least Toy Story 2 and 3. Yeah, no problem. They don't look as scary. No, in and, and, and the, um, the Planet of the Apes movies, the new ones... The, the, those apes are not real. Um, that is all fake. But because they're apes, we accept more of this imperfection. Oh, I don't know. It's a, that's a whole very interesting thing. Um, well, the good news is Panasonic is paying the bill to do these experiments yeah. <laughs> as it's costing them hundreds of millions of dollars, which if it hits is a big payday for them. Oh, sure. Medical but they've, they've, they've taken this swing at bat before and completely, completely missed the ball. And one thing I've noticed, um, I'm, I'm married to a medical professional, and one thing I've noticed is that the medical industry is really slow to adopt new technologies that are not directly related to medicine, like electronic record keeping, for iPads. example. iPads, right. They uh, were slow to know, adopt any sort of tablet. Everything, paper and pencil, and very slow to change, which in a way is good because people's health is is at risk here. But it is 2014. We do have robots cleaning our floors. Uh, we probably could use them in a hospital environment and, and, and save everybody a whole lot of money, I hope. All aboard the double bubble. It doesn't the sound... double bubble express is now departing the station. <laughs> it just doesn't sound reassuring, you know. It's... 
How is an airline attendant supposed to be taken seriously when they're announcing boarding for our special passengers? <laughs> First class passengers form a line for the double bubble. It, I, I'm imagining they're going to have a different name if this ever comes to market. Popular Science tells us this week, a jetliner for a fuel-starved future. We've got to redesign the jet. Yeah. And everything else. If we're going to use less carbon-based materials to burn, less petroleum then everything has to be redesigned. And jet fuel is a particularly difficult thing because really the only option we have is petroleum. Somebody did an experiment with some sort of biodiesel, but... Well, and the nuclear option, we have... Well, yeah, we have that. There's there's always the nuclear option. (laughs) (laughs) But do we lose it in Malaysia? Then (laughs) CNN's going to explode themselves. (laughs) We've lost our nuclear plane! (laughs) 24-hour coverage! (laughs) Yeah, for three weeks. So, you know, jet fuel, um, planes... And there's two kinds. There's aviation gas and what's known as jet fuel, which is a form of kerosene. But Why would you use one and, uh, or the other? Do you know? Uh, jet gas, I believe, is for propeller planes. Oh, okay. Propeller versus jet yeah, fuel. Okay, uh, right. I'm sorry. Not, not jet gas. Aviation, uh, it's got a number. Well, if I, if I looked it up, I could tell you. But anyway, there's two different kinds. It's an old gasoline that's not used anymore, but it's really high-octane gasoline. That's all right. it is. And you would need that for a propeller plane. And jet engines work totally differently, and they use what's basically kerosene. But the amount of energy stored in the weight of fuel is so high that it makes sense for planes, and there's very little else we have that has that much energy and that amount of weight. So the only way to reduce fuel use on planes is to redesign the airplane. And it looks like that's what they've done here. Yeah, they've started. NASA's been doing it. They've got a a different... The the fuselage is redesigned. It's... uh, Five feet wider than a 737, and they're claiming the extra girth increases lift and makes for roomier coach, which I'll tell you right now, they're going to mess up that roomier coach thing. They're going to pack 12 more of us on the damn plane. Uh, If you go and look up pictures of it, though, the only thing that looks less like it can fly (laughs) than a jumbo aircraft is this double bubble monstrosity. It's it's a brick. If I threw it, it would just hit the ground in front of me. So, a brick is more aerodynamic. Like, the, th- the thing, that I'm looking at the design, and the thing is that they've incorporated a lifting body into this, is that the engine, the body of the plane acts as a bit of the wing. There's a bit of space shuttle in there, too. You look on the yes. front, there's, it's, it's as if a space shuttle got stretched right. and got jet plane wings put on the sides. Yeah, and the, the space shuttle had that feature, too, where the body helped be part of the wings. But th- it's what's really odd is that the engines are behind the body. Not, you know, we've seen planes like 727s where... Um, there are engines behind the body, but then up on the tail. This thing's got a double tail. The engines are in between the two tails, but below. That's the double bubble. Yeah, that's, that's the, the double the- bubble. Yeah, that's <laughs> your, your double bubble. And they're below the body. So if you were looking at the front of this plane head on, you couldn't even see the engines. Which it's I, like the air is supposed to come over the yes. back of the body. I'm assuming yeah. from just, I'm in no way trained in this art form, yeah. over it. And then the intake, the air just slides down the body and into the exactly jet intake. Right. And I guess that helps. My guess is that this thing is is efficient at high speeds, but at low speeds... Well, it goes slower. Look, the cruising speed, so a Boeing uh, 737 currently goes 596 miles per hour. I didn't know that. Yeah, they did. I've flown in them, and I had no idea a lot. That's a bunch. That's how fast I'm going, faster than I could run. (laughs) So 596 is the current... 490 yeah, it's a big is drop. the new one, so it's a drop. So I guess that's the most efficient cruising speed. 100 miles per gallon is a Boeing now, 145 miles per gallon, which is significant. You multiply increase. that times an entire fleet. Yeah, it's huge. You have some savings. One, one mile per gallon is huge. And if you want one for your desk, Popular Science has a 3D printer model 
you can download and print your very own double bubble <laughs> to hurl at the ground. And that thing's not going to fly. It's yeah. just going <laughs> to splatter and shatter all over your office. It's an interesting looking thing. I, I hope it's real. Now, popular science has a reputation of being rather fanciful. You know, um, they're, the, they're the ones who said we were going to be living on the moon in the 80s. But uh, and very few of us were. No, no. Very, very few of us. There were actually, in fact, zero people on zero, the Zero. Hardly the any at all. Decade. Hardly any at all. <laughs> but this thing looks like uh, it might be along the lines of something that could happen. Um, well, it has to. Something has to. It's, it's not yeah, the double bubble. Left. Everyone's on the same page with burning less fuel yep. is good. The bookkeepers, the accountants Everybody, agree yeah. with the hippies and the environmentalists. Mm-hmm. Burning less <laughs> rocket fuel is better for every. We pay less ticket price. If we get a roomier coach, that's yeah. a modern science miracle. It, unless there's a weight limit on the plane or something. I mean, they're just going to... How rude for Americans. Yeah. One thing oh, that- we would revolt with pitchforks and torches. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will bring my Baconator on this aircraft. You will not stop me, good sir. Yeah. Uh, this thing, um, what's interesting to me is that the, the only recent... I mean, other than engine technology itself, the only recent change... And airplane shapes has been winglets, which are the wings. If you look at wings of modern airplanes, they curl up. Mm-hmm. And that is to combat turbulence at the wing tip, which they found out was slowing planes down. It's not obvious if you look at the plane, but if you do tests in wind tunnels, it is. This thing doesn't have that, which I find very odd. Yeah, where are they combating that? Because turbulence is inefficiency. That's the problem right. is you're not using the yeah, current friction, in any way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Drag. And, so uh, they must be combating it. Somewhere or, else in the design. Or this design is just, it's a really rough mock-up and they didn't bother with the winglets. But anyway, um, I, it looks like because it's so much wider, and it's significantly wider. I mean, it's, uh, so it's 113 feet for your normal 737. So if you're flying southwest, that's what you're on. 170 feet, much wider. So that means that you're going to basically have two window seats and then maybe five seats in the middle. Maybe more. So you'd have a whole lot more center seats. But uh, anyway, I hope it happens. Uh, anything that helps us save fuel is a very good thing. Proving you can learn something from absolutely anywhere. <laughs> the Huffington Post oh, gives us a fact-based article. A first in HuffPo history. <laughs> well, it's one of those listicles, so they just pick some interesting lists. But, but Somebody from Crack.com didn't get published and went to HuffPo? Right. That is exactly probably the <laughs> yeah, exactly We probably. mocked them, but at least they gave us this. Yeah. So these... The, these are sort of two historical facts that'll put in contrast right. how big time is, because you don't realize things like this. Yeah, especially now, um, people don't really have any... Re- you know, in Americans especially, they think the Civil War and the Vietnam War were contemporary. I, you know. Yeah, I, I do a radio show every other month, and one of the facts is what year was the Civil, uh, Civil American Civil War? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the answers... Now, it's one thing if you say, okay, 1830 or 1880. You're at least in the right century. You missed it by a bit. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. You got the base... Those people would have been alive during it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. all right. That's fine. Good. Yeah. Okay. Fine. 1970. 1776. No. Yeah, no. No. They just name significant dates. Right. Yeah, 1932. Okay. It's, it's sad. So, here, here's some of the HuffPost stuff. Uh, so Betty White is older than sliced bread. Yeah, literally. Yeah, the article goes to say that sliced bread. Um, 1928. It took until 1928 before bakers felt comfortable with automated sliced bread because they were afraid it was going to go stale. So basically, that's when there were enough preservatives in the bread to support the machine. There was a big fight over sliced bread. It was oh, yeah. invented and then banned. Yeah. In certain countries because the Baker's Unions. Right, right Baker's right. Guilds, I think they were called. And then in 1928, Otto Frederick von Rodberder. 
some guy. It's only fun if you yell in German. Uh, <laughs> you can't say you that, that quietly. Yeah. My name is Otto. Von River River. I invented it. Uh, Betty White is 92 years old if you're listening in 2014. Harvard University was founded before calculus was invented. Yeah, this is what, you know, I'm originally from New England and I moved to Chicago and the definition of old has significantly changed. Here, 100 years is a long time. In LA, 13 years is a long time. Yeah, that's right. In Vegas, it's 13 months. But all of Vegas has been rebuilt. Every seven years, like the cells in your oh, body, Jesus. all of Vegas is rebuilt. I was just there, and I used to live there four years ago, and I didn't recognize the strip. It's amazing. Anyway, uh, yeah, Harvard was started in 1630, something like that. You know, 16... 1636. 1636. Good memory, by the way. 1636. Yeah. 1636. So and that's the oldest one in the U.S., by the way, That is, means, is Harvard. Just to put that in perspective, the Salem witch trials were 54. 50-something years later. 56 years later. This and then Calculus comes from a 1684 publication of Nova Methodist, and then in part with Isaac Newton's Principia, 1687. Yeah. So, so Harvard's a, a few decades older it's, than either, either the basis, basic form of calculus or the proper yeah. form of calculus, now, no matter how you want to slice that. First school of higher learning in North America, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and let us not forget that's also 140 years before the United States was a country. Uh, Galileo was alive during Harvard's early years. <laughs> he could have spoken. Galileo died in 1642. Uh, the last, this is close to home, we record here in <laughs> yeah. Chicago. Uh, we have a baseball team, the Chicago Cubs, and they famously have not won the national championship. We call the World Series. I don't know why we call our national championship the World Series. No, me either. No idea. It's a little Canadian. So what, there's other countries in the world? There's one other. You don't say. Toronto. That's it. That that's makes it the world. Oh, <laughs> And Jap Japan and Cuba love no, baseball, Cuba American baseball. Exist. Why don't we let them in the darn thing? Last time Chicago Cubs won a World Series, the Ottoman Empire still existed. Yeah. Oh, it's hard to believe. Uh, I actually, my, I had a barber whose uh, father was killed in that revolution. So, uh, yeah. Nuts. The pyramids of Giza, or Giza, the pyramids were built, and there were woolly mammoths. Yeah, that's how old those things Still alive. Are. Another little interesting fact about that, when Lewis and Clark were sent west by Jefferson, he told them to look for woolly mammoths, because they thought there still might be some out there. Here's one I, I saw a documentary about years ago. The fax machine was invented... The same year as the Oregon Trail migration. Yeah. And the it, fax machine. Right. It all goes back to um, the Jacquard loom, and they were using uh, patterns to make bolts of cloth, and that Morse code was all tied into that. And if you this think is about Lady it, Augusta Lovelace. Yeah. This is uh, the Hollerinth punch card system. Right. It's all related. This, that's why we call Lady Augusta Lovelace the first programmer. Yeah. Was because the Hollerinth, Hollerinth punch card system was taken from loom manufacturer, right. very advanced loom manufacturer. Oh, sure, yeah. In fact, they were famous for the intricacy of their patterns. Yep, and it put, fit perfectly into the very early computer systems, very complex calculators. It's just systems. the idea of you take data and turn it into basically ones and zeros, or on and off, or whole and not whole. And yeah, so the fax machine technologically not that big of a deal. But. Alexander Bain in 1843, a Scottish inventor. Yep. Created 1843. That's the year the fax was invented. My amazing. mother still uses it, by the way. <laughs> she still. I'll fax it to you, mom. I don't just yeah, just, just take a picture with your yeah. iPhone and email it, mom. <laughs> Let me fax it over. Uh, the, they would synchronize two drums mm -hmm. on either side, and that was a whole mechanical puzzle to solve with latency over your oh, wires. Yeah. So distance was a problem without sure. repeaters. 
But a, a period, you know, you get 100 miles, that's a long distance in 1843 for communication. Absolutely. You Once you get them synchronized, now you're sending a very complex Morse code or a Hollerinth yeah, type of thing, sort of in between is. the two in complexity. But now it's like a dot matrix printer on the other side. Yep. And you could either do simple illustrations or rough sketches or spell out right. letters. You that could was, draw letters. That was the start of the wire service where you could get pictures. Like World War II, how did they get pictures from the front in the New York Times the next day? It was the... Ancestor, or the the what is the what's the opposite the, of ancestor? The the children, the child, the, what this be progeny? The progeny. That's the word. Is the progeny of this? The wire service, the AP wire service, was the same thing. So. Did you know Tiffany, the jeweler Tiffany and Company, was founded before Italy was a country? <laughs> no, doesn't seem possible. But eighteen sixty one was the year the city states gathered under one nation. While the Civil War was happening. There's yeah, still very distinct. If you study Italian cuisine, there's five very distinct regions of Italian cuisine. Yeah. What we in America think of as Italian cuisine is really one region's right, that's cuisine. True, yeah. um, France was still using the guillotine when Star Wars came out. Yeah, you know, and there's arguments that it should be brought back because it was unquestionably effective and probably pretty humane. Yeah, at no point did they, at the end of the guillotine, go, is he dead? Is he yeah, no, he I don't know. I can't tell. His head is over there. His body is over there. <laughs> Check to see if he's breathing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two of President John Tyler's grandsons are still alive. Yeah, because he was... Now, if you don't alive. know, John Tyler was America's 10th president, 1841 to 1845. Two grandsons still alive. Yep. Yep, because he married a very young woman. All that remains is to say thank you for downloading and listening to this week's Curio. If you have a second... Uh, post on Facebook, tell a friend, turn yeah. someone on to it at work, burn it to a thumb drive, make a CD, fax it to your neighbor. Yeah, you could, or Morse code, we'll take that. Transcribe the podcast and then fax it to random people in the office building. <laughs> Any way we can get the word out, we're, we're happy to have you and we're happy that you were listening to us this week. Until next week, I'm the Whip Theater's Tom Britton. Wait a minute. We have the puzzle to answer. Oh, you are correct. Yeah, we, we just leave answer. you. With the weekly puzzle. All right, here's the uh, the puzzle is, so you have a barrel of beer, it's about half full. How do you tell if it's more or less than half full? The answer is, you take the top off and you tip it. And when the beer hits the rim, if you can see the bottom, it's less than half full. If you can't, it's more than half full. And I'm Jeff Wagg from the College of Curiosity. Until next week, stay curious, my friends. <laughs>